This is the Allergy Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geek show number 451, recorded on July 9th, 2020. Here at Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite tech gadgets that find their way into your home. News, reviews, product updates, and conversation, all for the average tech guy. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the Average Guy.TV studios here in a beautiful Bellevue, Nebraska. Paul, we had some thunderstorms roll through last night, and I had reset, and a story we'll tell a little bit later, I had to reset my package cam. You know, I've got a cam that's sitting in the window that's watching that package box that you talked me into, I don't know, three or four shows ago. And, um, and I reset the camera and put it up a little high last night. And, and I'm glad I did because when the storm came through, it caught all of the storms. So I got three really good sight hound, got three, three really good lightning pictures in there. And I had no idea Ooh. that I should be using sight hound to track the sky. For so you got the block, you got the bolt of lightning showing in your footage, huh? Yeah, it's super cool. I should have maybe right. maybe later and maybe in the post show I'll bring them up and uh, and we'll try sh- try to show them. But you know, it's summertime here in Nebraska, and we do we do thunder and lightning better than anybody. Speaking of that, better than anybody, Paul Brerin writes show notes better than anybody. He's got a lot available, and even put out like some Paul. You put out some uh, um. What did you What did you call it? The notes you put on your site that kind of like the pre show notes or. What you used a term for that? What did you say? Available draft. Uh, there we go. Yeah. You said you put out draft show notes, which is super cool. Paul, the notes that we normally you can't see. Paul took them, added them to his site, and then said, "Hey, if you want to come out and kind of get an idea, maybe I should do that more often." I'm just a little too lazy, Paul, just to be honest, to put the <laughs> notes out there. But Paul did that on his site, tinkertry.com. If you haven't checked uh, out his site in a while, the, the draft notes. If folks wanted to go over to your site and see those draft notes, Paul, what's the easiest way? Kind of yeah, if you're listening that? live uh, or after the fact, it'll still be the same URL, tinkertry.com forward slash HGG 451. All right. There, there we go. go. And you can you can see, see the notes. Tony Rayner in the chat room says, did mom have her birthday? No, that's in August, Tony. So I won't. I'll be gone August 6th, the week of that for that. No, I had a Marine son come home last week. And uh, thanks to Ryan and Bob, who at the last minute let me cancel. Appreciate them uh, allowing me to do that. And uh, and we'll reschedule them. I think they're coming on August 13th. Uh, they will be back. Don't forget, you can also join us live on the mobile app, HomeGadgetGeeks.com, if you want to do that as well. And I uh, want to welcome Paul Brarin back to the show. Paul, welcome to Home Gadget Geeks. Thank you for having me, Jim. It's a delight to be back. And um, a little different camera view for both of us. This yeah, time. yeah, no, a little bit. A little bit changed for me, a little bit changed for you. That's kind of where you're the tinkerer guy, right? So you you need to be constantly messing around with stuff anyways. I, I'm kind of that way, right? You, you just got to always be kind of mixing it up. Yeah, this is my upstairs. There's actually a fan pulling some air out of this room and it gets toasty. And above me, there's an air conditioning return. This is where I do my day job. So I'm at a standing desk. It can move down and sit. It's not motorized. But um, this is where I do my work in a quiet space without any computers, just monitors in this room keeping it cool. The basement lab, the workbench is what you've seen uh, previously where I've gone down there where all my stuff is laid out, where I have numerous projects going uh, simultaneously. So I'm fortunate enough to have enough room to have two different spaces in my uh, home. But I've been working from home for almost 30 years, at least one day a week. Yeah. So I think we both take it pretty seriously, right? Yeah. The, pan- the, pande- the uh, pandemic did not catch you by surprise, right? You were, you were kind of ready for it. You had all the equipment to do it. You've had a home office in a massive test studio for a while. 
not uh, you're not you weren't caught off guard, were you? Yeah, it caught me by surprise, but it didn't caught me catch me unprepared. Right. <laughs> I did have to buy some new UPS batteries and other stuff while working at home to make sure they were going because they were like three or four years old. And um, yeah, I lose power for a few seconds here and there, and that's pretty annoying if you're on a phone, a Zoom call, a Zoom meeting with like 30 people. You don't want those little blips to take you out. So yeah, for the most part, I was pretty prepared. I will say it took like a month for Amazon to get me stuff though. And what are you going to do? Complain? You're, you're vying with masks <laughs> and other stuff. Boo yeah. hoo! My lead acid batteries are taking a month instead of oh, a week. You know what? You just it, Amazon's been very slow for months. March was a little sketchy. I think March yeah, and early April, absolutely. right? It's a little sketchy. It's all caught up now. I just ordered something yesterday and it's going to be here today i mean it, it's okay. it goes pretty fast right i think i ordered a rain gauge today <laughs> that's going to be here tomorrow a rain gauge like I, you know I, I don't really need it. it it i don't i don't need it tomorrow but i think we're back to pretty quick and i'm seeing more and more amazon um vans in my neighborhood me too me too you know? and like multiple yeah. people didn't it used to be like and i still i have a fedex driver right the fedex guy has my neighborhood and he comes around. I know the guy. I know him well. He's at my house about every other day with some kind of delivery. The Amazon guys, I, it's a different person all the time. Sometimes I see two or three different delivery drivers in the same neighborhood in the in the same day. Yeah. And you kind of and you kind of wonder. I saw. I went by the um, gas station the other day and I saw two Amazon vans and they were loading the contents of one into the other, which I think you know one broke down. Um, but I've just seen, I've seen them all over. So they must be taking a different approach. I mean, maybe the owning the neighborhood model like FedEx or UPS did, where you have the same drivers knowing the neighborhood, doing the same deliveries every day. Maybe Amazon has figured out how to, how to break that down and they're moving their drivers around. Do you think? Yeah. I mean, a couple of thoughts. One is I know they're trying to go electric at some point. I'm not sure how committed and how quickly they'll do it, but what a great opportunity city driving with stop and go perfect for re regen braking so that would be a, a big win for amazon i would think and then the second thing that went through my mind as you're talking about amazon totally agree with you it's different faces all the time but at least it's in amazon labeled vans which yeah. is a whole lot less creepy when you know say uh someone's home alone and they don't really know who the stranger is in an unmarked car that was creepy and that was happening for years but that seems to have pretty much gone in the last few months it's almost all marked amazon vans i noticed so there's that and then there's the airports. Oh my gosh, flying out of Cincinnati, uh, rows of Amazon planes. I mean, they're buying their own fleet. It's pretty impressive. It seems like they're trying to kick FedEx and UPS to the curb, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, they got the money too, at least at this point. Give it a try. Paul, you recommended I buy that delivery box, the, the step two, and I don't know the size, but you've got a picture on your site uh, yeah. with, with the delivery box. I uh, picked that up and installed it. Yeah, Paul's given us some, some yeah. It's it's pretty handy. Uh HelloFresh, the the largest box from HelloFresh just fits like okay. just fits in it. Like I heard you mention that your delivery person complaining about his back and you, you lifted the whole thing. That's great. You gotta kind of slide the thing down. So I lifted it up off the ground a little bit, put a little wood platform around it and 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 put it up for him. Um but I have uh I've noticed so UPS and FedEx are really good about putting boxes in there. The Amazon delivery drivers are not. They continue to just throw it up in front of the door, take a picture, and they're gone. Yeah. So it's a little bit different, a little bit, I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem, I think Tony in the chat room said Amazon uh, an Amazon driver told him that they have to purchase their contract for the route. So, you know, maybe there's some kind of competition 
I would think with folks out of jobs right now, it's kind of everybody's looking for those that have been laid off and maybe where they're not going to get their job back. They, those may be a competitive with everybody. I mean, the new economy, who would have thought delivery would have been the place to go find jobs, right? Delivery boxes. Oh, agreed. Uh, for people picking up extra hours in these really tough times, right? With a huge unemployment. I, it's hard not to think about that. Um, hey, you just had a pretty cool moment on StreamYard. For those of you listening, yeah, you're missing something on video. Jim just pulled a pretty cool move showing Tony Rainer's comment right there in the live video. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was Stream, like, uh, StreamYard yeah, I was does that. Um, they, they do that pretty well. Tony says um, their commercial says all electric by 2025. They advertise it heavily. And then, of course, yep, yep. Joe says all electric by 2025 is pretty optimistic. I think there's just so many rural deliveries. And I think that, hey, if you could get electric, if you could get all electric in the city, uh, you know, rural probably just doesn't have as many. You could still do gas where you need to do that. Right. But uh, yeah, you know, it's a it's a step in that direction, Paul. Before we jump to your stuff, I've got two stories. I'm gonna I'm gonna preview Great. one. I'm gonna talk about one, and it's gonna point to one. We're gonna do at the end of the show. But um, you and I have both for a long time talked about the 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 uh, cap limit at and Cox being one. Oh, yeah. Now it's one point two five terabytes. Right? Did you see they just upped that to one point two five? Terabyte. Yeah, but I, I moved to Gigablast to avoid all that because okay. I, I got as soon as I was hired by VMware within a week, my laptop yeah. was replicating every night. I was toast. I, I hit my cap in a week of getting hired, yeah. so I could not do an IT job at home. Right, um, and that was it. And same, you know. So yeah, so yeah, you're, so you're still unlimited. stuck with uh, caps. You, I'm unlim you, unlimited. Thankfully, unlimited. well, but I'm paying dearly for that, right? Um, yeah. Tim, the reason I canceled last week, and actually it happened during the show last week, my Marine son is home. And so we were, I'd come home from work early on Thursday to be with him. And we were sitting at the, the table talking and the, 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 uh, the, the idea of this cap came up because I said, yeah, now that Sammy's home, my daughter, she watches so much YouTube. Like I was like, we are, you know, we are getting dangerously close to that cap. So I got on my phone to show them how close we were. And when I got on my phone, it said, you're 420% over um, <laughs> your calf. <laughs> I'm like, what? like a cell phone, right? Oh, I was like, God. what the? 400. Yeah. So I'd already done six terabytes. So if you want to know how you can effectively use six terabytes of data, stay to the end of the show. We'll either cover it at the end or I'll do it in the post show. But in the yeah, middle of... Well, okay. you, have to, you have to stay around to the end of the show to okay. uh, to hear the story. I'll, I'll tell you how you get it done. And it's not what you think, which is kind of interesting. Uh, in the middle of trying to figure out, because I was trying to figure out, first I thought maybe somebody hacked the network and you know, all these other things. In the middle of figuring that out, I used the Bitdefender box. This has been a box that I've used for the last couple of years from Bitdefender. It's kind of an all-in-one router. It's got a Wi-Fi. They have some, uh, you can, with it, with your uh, annual subscription, you get unlimited Bitdefender uh, antivirus for your computers. They're getting into um, identity protection. We talked about that on Cyber Frontiers. Oh, I don't know, about three, no, six weeks ago. And um, this thing just broke. Like it just, it started, red circle of death just started, just started going. So I'm in the middle of troubleshooting this and I'm trying to figure out, okay, because I, I initially I thought I got hacked. And I might have, but you'll have to wait till the end of the show to hear that. So I was trying to track down uh, IPs, like, okay, well, who's on my network? Who's there? Who's not? So I go into the interface. The whole thing just kind of craps out. So yeah. the amazing part of that story is I really expected in their app, they have like, hey, call us. If you're, you know, if you're having trouble, call us. And I thought, oh man, I'm going to go into a queue that's eight miles long. Like it's just going to take them forever. 
So I'm like, what the heck? So I hit the, in the app, I hit the call button and it takes me to the thing on the phone. I calls him. It rings twice and a guy picks up twice. Like, and no, you know, we're recording this call for whatever. This guy was like, hello. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm having some trouble with my Bitdefender router. Did I get the right, uh, you know, Bitdefender box is what this is called. Did I get the right number? He's like, yeah. How can I help you? <laughs> I was like, I, I swear I was, they, they must have contracted out to just folks that are, you know, that they have, they have, they're working from home. They're doing these things. But anyways, so he goes through and helps me um, troubleshoot it. So I do a hard, I do a soft reset. I do a hard reset. We can't get the thing to come back online. The resets aren't working. It's continuing to go back to its old config and its old config would not let me into anything to config the the box on the inside. So we troubleshoot it for about 10 minutes, which is not, this is, by the way, not the way the Cox does this either. You would, I would have spent about three hours on the phone troubleshooting with them. But he spends about 10 minutes. He's like, I can't fix it. I'm just going to send you a new one. <laughs> he goes, is your information up to date in our database? And I'm like, I hope so. He goes, let me see your address. So I send, give him my email address. It wasn't, but he sent me an email that night and says, we don't have it. What's your, what's your address? And wow. so I sent it to him. Tuesday, new one appeared. And I was like, oh, my wow. gosh, like that was incredible. No questions asked. They processed it like it's an order. So, like, it's not like they pulled one out of a reefer box somewhere and just. Yeah, that's common. These days, it to me, right? yep. Nope. I got yep. orders. I got orders from them. Like, like I purchased it, purchased it new, except it was zero. And so it's all registered in the system. It's like I got a brand new box that's under brand new warranty installed it and it worked. And so nice job. I was a little sketchy. I almost went with a brand new router. I was kind of like, uh, you know how you have a bad experience like that? And you're kind of like, I don't know. Um, uh, you know, and uh, totally changed things for me. So good. Tonight, we're going to talk about some challenges you've had. We're going to talk a little bit about some victories that you've had in that as well. That was, for me, that was one and the same. I had a challenge. Man, they, they turned that thing around in about four or five days even in the middle of having all these problems, FedEx delivered it, by the way, of having these problems and getting it. Um, it was super great. Paul, we talked about, you know, I'm blowing through my my cap. You went to Gigablast. And so how's that work? How's that working out for you? Yeah, in Connecticut, each state's a little different. And in Nebraska and Connecticut, we were threatened for a long time where they sent us kind of statements and warnings of what it would be like when they institute caps, right? So we kind of had our fair warning. They were pretty good about that. So you knew it was coming. Um, and then when it hit, I'm calling up and I'm like, look, um, you don't offer anything decent for business service, which would be unlimited. Your speed is about one fifth of Gigablast. So why would I spend, I think it was 200 plus a month for business. And there's no service level agreement. There's no improvement. You're using the same infrastructure in the neighborhood um, is what I've been told verbally. Can't really find that in writing publicly, but some of the installers have mentioned that. Um, <laughs> yeah, when you have congestion and everyone's working from home, as the world was in March and April in particular, yeah, yeah. it got dicey <laughs> mm -hmm. and you felt guilty calling. But finally, when May, by the time May came along, I had a day where my phone now has dual SIMs. Okay, so I'll show you. So there we go. Verizon at the top, AT&T next. And both of those were weak that day. And my internet was dicey. And my VoIP line, my Cox business line is also just VoIP. It's a separate coax cable going out to the telephone pole. Um, that went down. So I lost everything in one day and I'm trying to work from home. It's like, okay, do I need to call this vacation day or can I figure out something? And that's when I finally called Cox to do a truck roll and um, had a look at what was going on. They admitted some congestion. 
And this got kind of interesting. You're looking at signal strength and all that, but the installer, he had all kinds of, you know, COVID stories about not being allowed in facilities. We had our gloves and our masks on and he stood outside. I handed him an ethernet cable through a basement window for him to jack it straight into the cable modem. Did everything I could to help the guy get in and out of there fast, right? And he was he was excellent. And he said, yep, your neighborhood's at like 78% when we hit 80%. Then your neighborhood gets added to the list for too much congestion. And then two or three months out, because the waiting list is long, we could then address it by adding, you know, more uplinks, whatever, to their master server, like two miles away. So he was very candid about that. I really appreciated the description. And he admitted another service call, you know, eight houses away or something too, which was really helpful to know. I wasn't just whining there was something wrong. He actually did find some cable flaws up at the telephone pole and he replaced them anyway. And, you know, and we ran a new cable all the way across the street, even though they were only two years old. So this guy was thorough. And by the time I left him, he's back to normal speeds, you know, six or five, five or 600 down rather than 100 down. When you're paying for a thousand down, 100 down, not such a big deal. But when your VoIP that's also relying that starts getting flaky and losing packets, I was getting like 20% packet loss. So Zoom calls were dicey. And then phone calls on the landline, which is really VoIP these days, were dicey. That's when I finally called. So there's my Cox story. It's actually a pretty pretty happy ending. But boy, did I wait until it got pretty hard to do my job before I called. Well, we did the exact same thing a couple of weeks back. I talked about I waited all pandemic. It's not been good. And I waited and I finally got the guy to come out. And same deal. They couldn't come in the house. I did buy the $10 wiring plan for inside the house, $10 a month. They'll come in, regardless of the problem, they'll come in and fix it, except except now they can't. Yep. But he, this guy was super cool. He allowed yep. me, like you, he allowed me to do some things with him. He ripped out a ton of bad cable, replaced it all. It was all taken care of. I'm I'm back up to speed. So much so that, you know, well, I, I burned through six terabytes. But again, we're going to talk about that here uh, at the end of this. It's ridiculous. Six terabytes. You'll have to ask, how did you get six yeah, terabytes? We'll talk about it here at the end of the show. Hey, um, I'm super interested. And I think you 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 mentioned this maybe the last time you were on the show. But the, the Sense Energy Monitoring Device, right? That's that orange box, right? That you put yes. in your... How long did you, had you had that in the last time or were you talking about, cause you were on January, I think 11th, about six months yeah. ago. Did you have that in then? Did we talk I about had it in? Okay. And the two, the two big heavy hitters in home where you're trying to go a little more green and get away from natural gas burning and go into electric. So you can gradually move to sustainable energy, like, you know, solar and wind, right? The first thing step would be to stop burning gas in your home when possible. So when my water heater went, I got a Rheem hybrid electric water heater. That's a whole story. The show notes cover it. But basically, there was a $750 rebate in Connecticut. So it made it the same price as a regular electric water heater, which would burn way more than, actually more than twice as much electricity, probably three times. So basically, a refrigerator on top of a traditional water heater is called a heat pump. And it basically turned it into a device that was affordable, meaning it was cost competitive, in fact, a lot cheaper than uh, gas. And for electricity, uh, it's turned out to be a big one there too, even in Connecticut where electricity is pretty expensive. So my point though, luckily it had its built-in Wi-Fi monitoring. Sense failed to detect it. I was hoping it's on its own 30 amp circuit to, um, if the heat pump's not enough, which removes humid air from my basement, which is awesome. So I got rid of my dehumidifier, which cost me more to operate than this. So now I'm heating shower and sink water at less money than it costs to dehumidify the basement from like May to September in the past. Cause I have a drain and a sump pump where I could just have the dehumidifier do that. So it's a total tech win, but yeah, since I was hoping to be able to look at my whole home energy detection, which is what Sense is trying to do. And it struggled with that 30 amp 
device, a 240 volt, excuse me. So it has that because it has electric uh, heating elements. So if you have many people over your house and it has to recover quicker, you kind of want the 30 amp, not the 15 amp circuit. So it can recover twice as fast. So, so that's a tech success, but it's a mixed success. So, so the Ream it's electric itself, 10,000 people have read that article, Jim. I have like the number one review of Ream hybrid art. I, I don't, I'm not a plumber. It's crazy. No, but the cool thing is that article has staying power. People are buying them like crazy because different states have rebates. Yeah. So if you go to your Home Depot and you, or Lowe's and you see it's $700, $800 price range, you might see this one that has a coupon right next to it that says, mail this in, you get $750 back. And in my case, when a contractor buys it from warehouse, they rebated it right up front. Right. So it cost me like $800. So, so anyhow, so Sense struggles with some of the big heavy hitters. And that's one example. The other one, we are now an all EV household. Both cars in our two-car garage are Teslas, including the lower range one, which is easier to charge and less capacity, which doesn't need to drive far. And then the longer range, um, it doesn't detect those reliably. It's been a year and a half of me contributing to the forums, giving them all the data I can. And um, actually, there's a new video live from um, Undecided, uh, another podcast, but it looks like he interviewed a guy from Sense. So I'm going to check that video out. I love to give companies a chance. I just haven't written about them much other than a few little links in my articles with some of the issues because I try to do like known good solutions when I get it all working, right? And then just yeah. say, you know, here's how it works. So that's been about a year and a half of some struggles there. The, the two heaviest electric consumers in my house, three, two cars and a water heater are failing to be detected reliably more than 50% of the time. So that makes its energy detection. It still shows me live how much my house is using right now in watts. So if I try to charge both cars and throw in the oven, see if a circuit breaker trips, luckily they don't. My electrician came in the winter and the summer has been no problem. I noticed one of my Teslas backs off on the charging speed though, because compressors cycle on and off. Compressors are heavy when they come on. So it looks like some firmware out there, Tesla might be like, okay, let's let's go back from 40 amp to 30 amp on that car. So some little things, but still, they want to make sure no wires heat up. And these are really fat cables that go to my garage to charge the car. We did it right. Yeah, yeah, you installed it well. How, well, how, does, that, yeah. how does that heat pump work for you in the winter? They're in the basement. Yeah. Summer makes sense, a lot of humidity. Yep. Takes humidity out of the air. You got excess heat anyways. I mean, how's that How's that doing in the winter? Yeah, it does cool the air. So good question, Jim. When a heat pump is pumping out cold, dehumidified air in your basement, great in the summer, sounds bad in the winter. I don't really notice a difference. My basement would be like 67 baseline in the winter with no heat on. And then if you're a little chilly at that, you can move some baseboard heating up. And then now it became like, 66 maybe and that's where my workbench is for my tinker try stuff and my videos down there so it need to be quiet it's only about 25 feet away through one one sheetrock and a bit of a louver door the thing is quiet so yeah that, that, that thing's been a success I, I just love that a crazy article like that where i'm certainly no expert on it has staying power that pe hundreds of people are still reading it per week that's a good sign that, that means people are actually thinking about one of the most biggest energy consumers in their house is heating the hot water for their house yeah. And, you know, 800 bucks solving that for my house, pretty good deal. We'll okay. see how long it lasts, you know. When you can kill two birds with one stone, especially in the summer, and it's kind oh, of, yeah. working, it's it's dehumidifying the basement for it. Does that go into, um, so do you have a, does it have its own pump that pumps the water then back out of the house? That it, that because I'm sure it creates condensation, right? Yep. I luckily have a sump pump hole, which is passively draining to a creek in my backyard. So I could just have passive draining. Nice. So I'm lucky that way. That is a good point, though. If someone's thinking about a heat pump, you need to need a way to get the water out of your basement. There are small, like, 
pumps that you can buy at Home Depot that'll move water up out of your basement over a wall, right? That can be done easily. A little condenser pump, uh, condensate pump, they call them. Exactly. I, I just mounted one of those. The 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 previous guy, the guy, previous guy that installed it, just left it on the ground. And I'd left it there for seven or eight years. And then it started leaking. So I took the thing apart, cleaned it oh. out, cleaned it up, added, descaled it, just just kind of, you know, gave it a servicing, put it back together. And then I'm like, well, shoot, I could just mount this to the side of my, it doesn't have to sit on the floor. I can mount it to the side of my furnace. So there were two two screws or two, you know, uh, two mounts on the on the side, pulled those off a little bit. It's got two little hangers on it. You just hang it on, screw it back in. It's now hanging up and off the floor and out of the way. I put a bucket underneath it, a, a little Tupperware bucket that I bought that I could drop a little uh, moisture sensor into. You know, it can, just sits there. If it if it never drips, it will be just fine. But you could, I could put a moisture sensor in there, uh, Wi-Fi enabled or whatever, to kind of detect if it does start leaking again. I have the perfect way to kind of capture it and make sure it doesn't make a mess before it go, you know, before, or fl- in my case, I can't flood a basement. I have a, bl- I have a basement drain thing that, that gets this. We live on a hill, so that's pretty easy, but it sure makes a mess when it, when it overflows. I'll have to check out our, our, our water heater is five or six years old. So I still have a little bit of time on it, but mm-hmm. I'm really interested in, in your heat pump one. I've seen those before. The other alternative was to go, I was been thinking about going only that on-demand water, you know, where it just sits, no tank, tankless, yeah. is what they yep. call it. That's natural gas. They have an electric version, but electricity just does not come up to speed fast enough to really get that, you know, to get the, that water as hot as you need it that fast. And so I've been thinking about that, but I like the heat pump and I like the electrical part of it. Electricity is cheap here in Omaha. So that'd be a pretty good call. Yeah. One other thing I'll mention there too. Um, it's actually... Richmond and Rudd are the same thing. It looks like they have clones. So all three of those companies that begin with an R, Ream, Richmond, Rudd, if you have an installer you like or a plumber that deals with one of those, you probably have a product that they can professionally install, which is identical to the one that's in your local Home Depot or Lowe's. They both have Wi-Fi. They look the same. They just have a different sticker on there. And what's the retail on those? Yeah, around seven or $800 for oh. the 50-gallon that I have. Yeah. They now come out with a 40-gallon. And you know, like I just said, there's more brands. Um, there might be some question about serviceability of the heat pump portion. So if you can't recharge the coolant in there, I thought does the whole thing end up going to a landfill? That'd be kind of a bummer, but it looks like one person had a you know, warranty swap. And it's been great to see commenters under the article, which totally, I, I totally dig, right? You take the time to write an article like that an entire Saturday or whatever. And then having hundreds of readers, is one thing, but having 68 comments and people still reading it almost, you know, a whole year after I wrote it. It's awesome because now Ream on Twitter is responding to some people that are writing comments. So that's awesome feedback to help a company succeed in a way like that in a positive way. That's the joy of writing on a blog, like right there. There's no money in this. Nobody's going to buy from my affiliate link from Home Depot. They're not going to, they're going to drive over and use their credit card, right? It's just helping people out with information. And I dig that. And it's really good to see Reem out there. So hats off to Reem. Uh, They just tweeted to me uh, today, actually, uh, trying to respond to the guy who had a warranty question or something. Nice. Nice. Um, you mentioned your Teslas, uh, both when you were coming in and you're talking about the, the power to that. We, You've actually influenced a lot of people I know that listen to this show to probably buy those cars. Uh, give us or a quick update. Drive, right? yep. Give us a quick update on how's, how's it going? Still, still loving it? How's it working? Oh, absolutely. It's really nice to see Ford getting in the game now, too with the Mustang, which is actually a sport utility Mustang. That's a little unusual. <laughs> um, some people might, you know, 
trust a more traditional brand, it's all good. My, the point is there, my excitement when I talked to you in January, almost everyone listening to this will think back five or 10 years from now when they're driving an electric vehicle of whatever brand, remembering, oh man, Paul was right. EVs are exciting. Forget the word Tesla for a second. Just the tech of hitting the go pedal and it goes instantly without any downshifting or lag. And all the torque is available to you instantly. There's no build up or spool up. It's just, it's it's undescribable. You have to test drive. And it pretty much ruins anyone who wants to test drive it. Their cell rate's extremely good. So you could read all you want about it. Whatever brand that floats your boat, including Ford upcoming with theirs, cool. Now, supercharging a little tougher. I looked around Nebraska there. If you're going to try to drive north to, I don't know, Minneapolis, you'll do it easily in a Tesla. You could drive all over the country, including where you are, Jim, where they're spaced out more, way more widely than Connecticut. Yeah. We've got them every 20, 30 miles. We're in great shape here. A little further. If you bought a Ford there, though, that could still be a little struggle. It could be a year or two before you can really do cross-country road trips. So yeah. that is sad. I hope they fix that quickly, but they're just not quite there. And um, all the companies are a bit behind. But Jim, complete success. You're asking if we're happy. Yes, my wife's still delighted. She's only driven... 2,000 miles in six months on her car. And she's got the one that was well under 40,000, which got us the full Connecticut rebate of two grand. So in each state, someone listening to this, look that up. You may have some real rebates. In California, it's even much more. When they first came out, some people are getting eight or nine grand off the purchase price of like 40,000. So now you're at 32,000. That's the price that's less than the average American car. So don't be put off by the Tesla name or do your homework before you make a conclusion. The recent cars, especially the Model Y, they're, they're just killing it in the reviews. And they're, you know, stock and all that's doing well too. So the risk feels a lot less for people now versus when I got mine um, 18 months ago. You it was had, a little ticier then. Yeah. You would put in a, you put some kind of camera in there, like a Raspberry Pi or something. Was that in the in the car or it? Did you do, you had done something different, right? In the car, you'd added something to your to the Tesla. Yeah. So the, I got the car December of 2018, the long range all wheel drive. Eight months, uh, let's see, a few months later, I was driving around a lot all over New Jersey and some places in parking at a not so amazing, you know, Hampton Inn or whatever and parking at night. Kind of nice if Tesla would use those cameras that are not just for lane uh, centering in the highway. How about you use them for security when your car is parked, if something's moving the car or smashing a window? So they said, hey, just put, there's two USB ports that plug in your uh, uh, wireless charging pad, typically for your two phones up front there in the center of the console, or you plug in a, Flash drive, and you got to be careful. Flash drives are not written to be high endurance for 100% video rights from four cameras streaming the entire time you're driving, or if you have sentry mode on when you're parked. They're not designed for that, so people were killing their flash drives. But luckily, you know, some background in that with VMware ESXi server putting that in 32 gig flash drives, I knew they weren't going to handle rights all day long. So I went and bought a Samsung T5, it's called, a little external USB-C to USB-A cable. That solved the problem nicely. High write endurance, 500 gig capacity, that thing can hold weeks of video footage very reliably. And if you you know get in a wreck, obviously you want it to be recording whatever happened. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're asking about that. So how do you review that footage though? Tesla recently came out with a 50, the, the screen in the car, you can review that footage and it jumps right to the spot where someone bumped the car or triggered the cameras. But it used to be they didn't have that. So a company called uh, Roadie in Connecticut, a guy wrote a little Raspberry Pi, uh, some software for it. Stick that in your Tesla Model Y or Model 3, or I think it works in other models too now. Um, that becomes your dash cam, but it's also accessible. As soon as you pull in your garage, it connects to your home's Wi-Fi. And now you just run a little app in your house and you fire up the dash cam viewer on the app. And it's a little sluggish. It's not ideal because it's pulling it over your Wi-Fi from the Raspberry Pi, but it can do it. And that's another example of something I put in the guest network. Just like the Ream smart hot water heater, Tesla's go on the guest network and the Aero. 
Strangely, one of them came back from a brain transplant. We had a new entertainment system and a new Wi-Fi chip. And that one now would not connect to the guest Wi-Fi on Eero. It's a little bit of a bug I've unearthed. It has to connect to the main Wi-Fi in my home. Mm. That's the goofy stuff where Eero's been great, but that last 1% or 2%, every router I've ever owned has always had one or two devices that give me a little bit of trouble. And that's just a goofy story for you. But yeah, go figure. Um, for the most part, that those products have been all, all worked out. The, the Raspberry Pi story, though, is not over yet. Um, I've been re-imaging it. He's got a micro SD card and a re-imaging process where now you can format from inside your Tesla. So people are going to nuke it. So me being the curious tinkerer type, I went and reformatted and found um, having a little trouble getting its operating system back on there. So that's how I learn, right? You break it and you fix it again. Mm -hmm. So pretty cool that the guy made a product out of it, right? Raspberry Pi Zero is a pretty cheap device, but it's a little above 100, I believe, for him selling it with a micro SD card with adequate write endurance capacity for four cameras streaming to it every time you hop in the car. So um, there you go. There's my update on that. That's an ongoing project. You, you mentioned uh, guest networks. And I, I think I, I said this earlier, I, I'm for the first time actually got a guest network up and running in the house. I used when this router went down, I'd always just done one SSID and been yeah. good with it. Uh, when I got worried, somebody had kind of hacked the network. I was all of a sudden I started thinking, you know, if they could get on my network, what could they see? And yeah. I, so I yep. fired up a laptop. I used a, a key pod, which is, um, I don't know if you ever heard of them, but it's just a USB that you can put in. It runs an OS, Linux-based OS that, that's okay. completely secure. The The cool thing about it is it makes, it, it gives me like, what would I see if I wasn't me, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. All of our, all of our gear is kind of set up for like access to everything, but we don't, uh, we don't, I don't know about you, but I don't have a zero trust um, uh, device in the house. In other words, I don't have a, a device that I could just run as if I was a stranger. And so I started thinking, hmm. So I plugged the key pod in, booted it up, connected to the network. And then I'm like, I wonder what I can get into. I could get into way too many things. <laughs> I was like, oh, I I need to be, I absolutely need to be smarter than I've been, I've been. having a single SSID. And listen, for 95% of the guys and gals that listen to this, you, I'm sure you have your own secure network internal that doesn't, the SSID is not showing your, that's all one subnet. And then you've got a second guest enabled guest account that SSID is available. That's when people come over, kids, phones. I've heard this mentioned by you and others before, but it didn't really like, it was like, yeah, I'll get to that the next time. Well, man, if you, just try this one time. Set up a piece of equipment that has never seen your network before. Connect to it with that one Wi-Fi password. And and I know, Paul, I know in your network this isn't true. But for others, what can you see? Like, yeah. I, I the Drobo wide open. Like, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff on the Drobo. And I was like, oh, God. Like, this is not a good, this is not, this is not good. Well, it's all changed now. But I, it's just, it, I think it's one of those things to remember, like, we got to be in, in, in you know, uh, current party included here on this. You got to be a little careful with that. And because and, if your Wi-Fi password is the only thing stopping people, you know, I, I went, I put zero trust on everything. So now you have to authenticate to every single device that has data on it. Those all got locked down. All guest access got removed. Because I'd enabled all that guest access, right, for to make it easier for me to connect the Windows boxes to it. Because I was trusting anything on the network. I was trusting not no captive portal, right? 
it just it just you you prompted for the guest SSID when you tap on it on your iOS or Android device, it prompts you for a password on the spot, you enter it, and you're on. There's no captive web portal like a hotel would have, right, Jim? For the right. yes. Yeah, and that's essential for IoT devices. So yeah, you make really good points. Like if you were to buy something, um, if you listen to security now, you'd be freaked out. Uh, so many <laughs> things get hacked. That the base security and so many cheap, like sub $30 Wi-Fi products, mm-hmm. those companies have no intent of being a business, keeping some cloud service going three, four years from now. So to buy something like that on Amazon and put it on any of your networks is just you're looking for trouble. Yeah. And yeah. It's just well, it's unfortunate. I, but yeah. I wanted all I think you might have said this, somebody else may have said it. I wanted to get all my IoT devices onto the guest network just because I couldn't I really can't trust them in a lot of ways. They broadcast and they're as I've so as I broke the Wi-Fi and as I've been resetting things back up, one, when you have I think I have, I don't know, twenty 20 different IoT devices that all have different ways of setting them up, including Amazon's Echoes, right? The Those Echo devices that we have, the different generations all have a different way to set up Wi-Fi and to change it. And by the way, if you have an SSID that's the same and the password has changed, oftentimes they're like, oh no, I'm, I'm on the right SSID and then they just keep failing, but they won't let you in to change the password. You have to just forget the network then reset it all back up again, you know, kind of from scratch. It is, I tell you what, changing your SSID is a pain. The more, the more OIT, IOT you have, the harder right. it gets, right? So I separated those two. I, I'm still like I, this weekend, I'm going to do some testing again. I'm going to fire up that key pod and say, okay, I'm going to connect like I'm a neighbor and I somehow got the password. <laughs> what can I see? You know, what yeah. can I see on that network? What I can see on that guest network. Jim, you got some great comments in the uh, stream guard there. Um, thank you, Joseph, uh, talking about VLANing, another option, right? Oh, thank you for highlighting it on the stream. Yeah, excellent. So, yes, if you're, uh, you know, a more advanced listener here, maybe not the average uh, network uh, guy or gal listening, that's a little tougher, a little more work setting up VLANs, but another option. And, um, and, it kind of hints that I don't actually use Eero and its consumer-focused router. I use a Ubiquiti device that's much more advanced, helps me keep my uh, Linux VMs and my VMware vSphere happy with forward reverse lookup for local domain names. So we've covered that before, but basically my Eero's are in bridge mode and they're all wired backhaul. So I'm not using a mesh. I'm just using multiple access points that have the same SSID and bandwidth steering. So when I move around the house, it knows to pick up a closer device. That's what I've wanted for ever since Wi-Fi came out. Yep. It was always a mess moving around your house and ending up stuck on the wrong one at 2.4 gigahertz when a five gigahertz device is right next to you. You know, So hats off to the whole mesh network thing, which I'm not even using as a mesh. I'm just <laughs> happy we finally have multiple antennas to put around my house. <laughs> no, you're, you're another making, tech success, yeah. You're making it work for you. Jim Shoemaker says, Plume makes uh, uh, guest network very easy, very happy with mine, uses the same SSID as a regular network, but a different password. And that's super cool too, to be able to- oh, That's a different approach, then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, differentiate those kind of based on the password. Um, like a couple, Paul, one of the interesting things I ran into is so like I put the printer on the guest network, you know, thinking like, well, then none of the wired computers have access to it because it's uh, in a subnet, right? So now you can't print. Right. I need to go in and change the printer, put it on the secure network. And, and um, you know, and that's easy to do. But do a cloud print, I guess. But yeah, you could. Yeah, I guess you could and do it that way. That's a little odd that to send it to the cloud and back. Like no, it's an attack vector, right? If that thing doesn't get updated, it's a mess. Uh, At least 
I think your listeners, you know, think about this stuff, but it's really, it is hard to actually implement it because if you count up the devices on our homes now, if you use something like a Fing network scanner or some other iOS or Android apps, it's frightening, right? You just add up how many devices. Pretty much everyone's got dozens at this point, especially if you have a camera or two or whatever. Um, so, well, you just got me here. thinking too. Like I had port forwarding rules set up for certain. Oh, devices. I turned those off. Yeah, with COVID uh, and everyone working home. Port well, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I had things that are going to break here because I I had done some port. I was sure. for Plex. I had done some port forwarding to make Plex work off the network. I'm going to have to go in and reset up. See, this is whenever you change your, your router. This, these are the things like if, if, if you're changing your router, you're going to a different, I had no way of backing this up. I could have, probably should have. Bitdefender Box gives you a way to back up your settings so you could apply them to a new one. I just hadn't got that done. You start finding all these nooks and crannies in your network. You're like, oh yeah, that's right. Three years ago, I put this device on there and then I forgot about it. Plugs are, are you know, you can put a plug in and just kind of forget it was there. And mm-hmm. then you're like, oh, okay how do I set this up again? <laughs> you know, I had to Google about four or five different setups. In fact, I have a Zmodo camera here. One of these, I, I, we demoed this on the show two or three years ago, whatever, was using it as a backyard cam. I, I can't get it connected. <laughs> I just like, I can't remember. And I tried Googling it and their setup instructions are different than it is now. And their app has changed. And you're like, geez. So what I'm finding, Paul, in this situation, one thing a day, like, one device a day. So you got a bunch of broken devices. Don't try and fix them all at once. Just, ca- mm-hmm. just tackle one kind of device a day to make, you know, the kind of, to kind of, because it gets, it, especially if you got to do a bunch of research, it makes it really, really hard to, you get frustrated, you know? And so that is with IoT in the five years we've been doing it and it's in, there's all these different levels of connectivity and the way things work. Some, some are easy, some don't. I, I, I'll I, be honest, I almost threw this thing away yesterday. I'm like, <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to Ring. Did you install some new Ring stuff? Yes, uh, for my mom. So my parents are in their 80s. And um, well, you, you kind of think about fall risk. And, and at the home they were spending more time at, it's like uh, these poorly lit paths at night with broken bulbs. I got to fix this. So to my delight, uh, luckily, Ring's product line was expanded quite a bit recently, and that's one of the tech successes in the last few months since we last talked. And that's called the Ring Security Lighting. So no cameras. She didn't want my cameras. That's fine. All they are is fancy uh, tunable motion detectors with really bright LEDs that are aimable, two swiveling heads on there. Quite happy with it. Uh, everything took forever to ship because of COVID, um, but I really wanted to get things lit at night and it succeeded. I had to drill some holes and ultimately uh, they had one failure. I had four, uh, let's see, three different floods. One of them was solar. The solar device malfunctioned. One of the uh, LED heads did not work and it kept reporting that its solar was low on power, but it did that for days, even though it was 0%. So how would it report at 0% if it really was? It was just messed up. So I returned that one, ended up going to the attic, drilling a hole through the house and hardwiring it like I should. So I don't have to worry about batteries ever because <laughs> the solar probably wasn't going to keep up in the winter anyway. So that project um, took some labor, but man, the results were great. The house looks good. It lights up the pass perfectly. I mounted things where you can aim it nicely. And the motion detection being tunable from my phone. So I already have a Ring account. You just set up a secondary address. So I either do all the tuning and the work for my mom. All she does is, you know, walk around the house safely. And now and my dad. So having wall switches covered up. So you go on Amazon and you got a three-place wall switch. You turn it into a two-gang. 
cover up that switch so that nobody disables the fog, the, the floodlight. You need the path light to always work, not rely on humans to remember what switch position to leave it on. So that's uh, how that all worked out. So if you're not familiar with Ring, yeah, you might have some, um, they've been getting better about two-factor and warning about security settings. Mm -hmm. But for this, with zero cameras, I have no Ring devices in my house that have a camera. I'll just put it that way. Well, I'll leave it at that. I've been happy with their alarm. And if you buy, if you're a subscriber to the Ring alarm, you get 10% discount on orders. So that's good because you don't get it at a discount on Amazon. So I'll just point that out if any of you are listening and try to buy. Um, something to consider if you already have a Ring.com account. You and 10% helps. Um, 70 or something. No, for, let me look at the price on this uh, actual floodlight. So yeah, you might've had a floodlight, like the house had a floodlight for like 25, 20 years it lasted, but you couldn't you know, tune the motion sensitivity anymore. The, the, the little dials in the bottom didn't work. It's all full of spider webs. Okay, $47 uh, minus 10%. Uh, so about 40 bucks gets you a smart floodlight with a really good motion detector with a swivel head where you can aim the motion detector. And then through the app, tune how sensitive it is and keep it from going on when it's daylight hours. You can tune, you know, how dark, how deep into nightfall does it actually work? So yeah, tech success. Very happy with that product. And hopefully it lasts, you know, 10, 15 years without me having to fiddle with it again. Mm -hmm. That's the idea. Once it's tuned. It'll last longer than your phone. <laughs> the, true, the battery operated parts do worry me. So there's a tree yeah. where I screwed a battery operated remote sensor where it just wasn't near enough to the, where the cars park to me, for me to reliably know that when you got out of the car, you could see what the heck you're stepping on. That I fixed with a little battery operated, uh, I think twenty something dollar little uh, ring detector, but it's all a mesh. It's all tied to the same ring, so all the exterior lighting goes on at once, which is awesome. So it lights up all the paths for motion, and um, that's important because you want it to go on for two minutes. You don't want people waving their arm or doing strange things so they don't trip when it goes off when they're walking. And having the ability to add to it with a mesh and have a little remote device where, yeah, I'll have to replace the AA battery, you know, every year probably after every winter. That's fine. That's not a huge amount of maintenance. It's reachable. So um, there you go. If folks are looking for a way to make the outside of the house a little safer without cameras, there is a bridge. So there's a, a little $20, or $47, excuse me, bridge. You can plug that into your um, uh, USB in your house and a power brick. So you got to keep that on. And then you have it connected to your Wi-Fi. Um, so there you go. That's how you connect this world to your I have wife. the bridge. I have the bridge. It's 50 bucks if you buy it retail. Yep. And um, uh, I bought that. And there is a weird voice command on that thing. You can, as you're setting it up, it talks back to you. And it's this lady's voice, but she's kind of, she's, it's almost like the voice is cool. So it's. Oh, that's a different bridge. I think I'm oh, talking about a ring smart lighting bridge, a newer yeah, one. So oh, maybe, okay. maybe this is just their, oh, this is their different. chime bridge. This is the one you uh, got it. for the for the door for the doorbells okay. or, and it's it's got a funny voice on there and she talks really like so she or... kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's funny. <laughs> it is funny. I've been um, keeping my eye open on slick deals for the spotlight cam, uh, the wired spotlight cam. So you know narrow camera, but it's also got a spotlight in it. Not the not the big one with the with the floods. But the one yeah. that just got that's got the camera and a light. I don't need a lot of light in the back. the The deck is already kind of lit up if we want light. But I would like a little light back there, and I would like a camera. I've been using the Zmoto out back there, but it's battery. I got to bring it in every every I don't know six weeks to charge the battery. It takes a couple hours to get it done. Put it back in. Put it back in its place, and you're good to go. But this is a wired spot that's got a that's got a cable, and uh, the one I'm looking at now is battery, but they got a wired one as well. And just get good. Give, 
Ooh, it's taking pictures of me. Um, I get the I get the battery in this. I'm going to get some funny pictures out of it when I'm done because I've been like looking at it and it's been taking pictures of me. Um, I would like to get a ring in the back. You know, get it up, mount it, wired. The um, the front door, the front doorbell that I bought from Ring isn't supposed to be its battery, but when I connected the, you know, the I, I've got a little transformer somewhere, transformer down here. I brought that up mm-hmm. and plugged it in. It worked. I haven't had to charge that thing since I initially put it in. And then the I have a stick-up cam over the garage that we I, I kind of put together my own flood cam setup for them. So a stick-up and then the the um, the solar panel. And then oh. I, I did my own little lighting thing down below it. So it's kind of rigged. I should have just bought the – if I would have known – like I was going to go this far, I just would have bought the the floodlight cam to begin with, but I did it in steps and eventually. Well, that that um solar panel has just been rock solid. I put that in and like I don't know, I got broke cars got broken into in Jan- in December. I put it in early January. I haven't. It's been at one hundred percent since I put since I put it in. It has not. It oh, has, that's great. I checked yeah, this, all the time. Yeah, it's been great. This location had a lot of shade, maybe an hour of sun max and a whole lot of thick maple leaves. So it wasn't going to get a whole lot. I was kind of worried. So, yeah. In front of my house, southern facing exposure, oh, sun okay. all good. day. <laughs> all day. So that thing has been great. The one thing I wish on Ring is I could control them in, you know, and, you know, I know why you wouldn't want to do this on a battery, but I wish I could get better, longer video out of them, you know, and actually use them like a, you know, get in there. You can get in in the app and you can see what's going on in real time and some of those kinds of things. That part is I've been less impressed with, you know, just the checking, the live video. They seem to struggle a little bit sometimes with their Wi-Fi connection. So that that has been not like wow for me. But I, then again, I don't need that much. They're security cameras. I don't need to be staring at them all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Watching, you know, watch, see what my neighbors yeah. are doing. Uh, I do like the time lapse thing where you can take a picture every 30 seconds and you can kind of time scrub through a timeline. I'm a fan of that. It's nice, you know, weather phenomenon. Fun to see the sunset or snow start or whatever. Uh, We had snow in May this year. (laughs) That was like, whoa, April is usually the last snow here. It was a weird year there, but um, yeah, no, I'm the same. I don't stare at it very often. And live is a little slow. If if the the commercials that talk about talking to someone delivering a box, yeah, good luck with that. They're gone. Um, They're at your front step for three seconds. By then you've, you, yeah. you can't answer that. Quickly. My FedEx guy drops it. I mean, he's got a motion where he drops the box, hits the doorbell, and he's <laughs> off. The, like, he's gone. He is, he is gone. Um, yeah, no, I haven't. My neighbor came by the other day to drop off some bread. He's been making homemade sourdough for us. So he brings, I don't know, every couple of weeks he brings a loaf over. We had some tonight, which was delicious. And he not, he rings on the doorbell. By the time we get to the door, he was already, my, my daughter said he was, you know, what do we call it? Doorbell ditch. When you used to ring the doorbell and then run um, uh, as kids, we, he, he kind of, he was, he left it on top of the, the, uh, the box, the, the delivery box. He's like, well, they'll, they'll see it when they come in. So you're right. It doesn't work. I have tried to, I can hear them. Like I get the notification and I can hear them and, by the time I try to get to a phone and pull it up and look and see and talk to them, just yeah. it, it never works. The other disappointment too would be if you think it has a wide enough angle to see your whole front step, you're probably wrong. <laughs> it's not yeah. seeing down. So if you know, yeah. so it has a very wide angle, but 
and newer ones and other brands are coming out with 4K, but they still don't really look straight down. So if someone's leaving a box right below your doorbell, most homes aren't going to see that. So if you were looking for that, just be aware, almost any brand you look for, I don't think anyone's really covering that yet. It's almost like they need a separate lens, like uh, give me the bottom third showing almost straight down and then the rest fisheye in front. But I don't think anyone's made such a thing. Either way, it's not a huge deal with me because uh, like you, I have a box and either they, eh, two thirds of the time they leave it in the box. Oh, there we go. We got some pictures from Jim. I, I, was, I was so dumb. I was talking about this earlier. We, we were trying to show the size of the box and I realized, hey, it's on your security camera. Just go take a oh, look it at it. So yeah, there's the uh, box. Uh, so, colored. It matches your uh, color there. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you can yeah, see cool. the wood. I put new wood underneath it. That doesn't really match the deck. So I need to probably go stain it a little bit just so it doesn't <laughs> look so obvious. But Paul, the so there's a ring cam. Um, so we call this package cam. It's 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 full intention is just to monitor the box. Now there's a ring doorbell off to the off to the right of it that's looking straight at it as well. The reason we put that out there is because the cam can't look down, and so the the packages were coming, and then we couldn't see them. And they make a wedge to try and bring it down a little bit and some other things. It's only I, like 15 degrees. And it yeah, looks I, it, I, does. It, it does. It does. I tried the wedge yeah. It doesn't really help. I've got out. the wedge that tilts it a little bit to the oh, left, okay. which is great. Mm-hmm. But it, with the box being out there on the deck, um, it can see the box. It can see it perfectly. We have a great view of that. The other thing I did, um, I modified that box. I put hinges on the back and a handle on the front really can't, it's tough to see in this video, but one of the things, so my FedEx guy would come or with his hands full of my he- Hello Fresh, my mm-hmm. heavy Hello Fresh, and he would be like, uh, so then he's got to set the box down somewhere. You know, he doesn't want to bend down to set it down. So you'd have to teeter it on the deck, the railing of the deck, and then pull that lid off and set sure. it down somewhere. So now with one hand, you can just lift that box up, push it back, it stays on right? Because it's got a hinge on the back. And then when he's done, put slides it in, he can just pop it back over and the, the lid comes back up. It's worked out really well for me. So you think the plastic will hold the uh, self-tapping screws you use? I think so. Yes. Yeah. I, I, okay. we'll, we'll see. Um, one, if it if it doesn't, I'll just take a block of wood from behind there and put that in there and re- re-drill those back in and make a little wedge with it. No, that sounds like a good idea. Good, I've had some people enough. struggle with the lid and, and what to do with it as they're putting boxes in. So yeah, I guess when you open the lid, does it rest against your railing or does it swing it all does. the way out? Like one no, it, it lifts yeah, up handy. and over and can then right. sit on that railing. Yeah. So for folks not yeah. watching, uh, you know, think of a uh, step two is a company that makes, I don't know, I think that plastic like princess castles, the kids, stuff right. for your kids, right? right? So that's the plastic we're talking about. So I'm just imagining a screw over the years. Will that hold? You probably use some pretty beefy screws and decent hinges, I imagine. I think, yeah, I yeah. And, and good enough for what for yeah. what we were yeah, cool. for what we were trying to do. But that was a little modification I made again. If it starts breaking out, I can just get a little, a little, um, you know, I get a little shim behind there yeah. and just screw it into the shim as opposed to just a block of wood. It'll hold, it'll hold them in just fine. I did. I am getting some water leaking in there, which is really weird. You said you weren't, you don't get yeah, on a rainy no, day. No no. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out where this water is coming yeah. from. You know, I did. Well, I did. I was getting water before we put the hinge and they're on the side. So it shouldn't, the water shouldn't come in there. But I did put one, I did mount one of those signs that says, hey, FedEx, hey, UPS, hey, you know, I did mount one of those, put two screws in there. You know what I should do? Should back all those screws out, put a little silicone on them, drill them back in, and that'll probably fix it. 
Thank you. There is a company that makes a metal plate for deliveries and has the Amazon UPS logo. I actually made something like that in my color printer and then laminated it, but it doesn't hold up too well over the years. So another little uh, fix. And then barbells that are rubber coated, I put in the bottom so the wind doesn't blow it around. So yeah, those are fixes, right? For a lightweight product. If it's in your front step and you get wind, that's another tweak. So that's also in my show notes. But uh, yeah, it sounds weird, but basically what we're trying to hope for is maybe two thirds of the time, especially if the weather's bad, have your delivery person hide a package so someone driving by the street doesn't see there's something in your front step. That's all it's doing. It's not locked, just to be clear. It's just yeah. a hunk of plastic. Yeah. No, it just kind of hides it. Yep. It's a, it's a oh, question yep. whether it's there. Let's, here's, here I can show that. Here's the uh, cam last night. I'll take a second, wait for it. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, okay. That's really <laughs> cool. Caught a little, and I think there's one here too. You can see the car go by. Let's wait for a second. No, maybe not that one. Uh, we'll check there. There we go. There's another. Maybe this one, yeah. Wow, nice yeah. light show. Yeah, yeah, that was a big one. That the one was good. Pretty good. So, right. Sorry, if you're watching, yeah, if you're watching the, uh, if you're listening to the audio, you missed some really cool lightning. You you might want to head out to YouTube, uh, give it a spin. I I didn't think it was going to look that good on the podcast, but that came in. Yeah, that came in um, uh, pretty well. Um, Paul, what else? What do you want to talk about? What else have you, what other gadgets have you put in there that, uh, either have you had trouble with, or you've really enjoyed? All right. Here's a GoPro hero. All right. So it's the latest version eight. You would think you could put an SD card in there and not worry about writing 4k video to it as you're driving down a road, say, nope. If my car was at like, I was supercharging, doing a time-lapse, it got to be about 78 in the cabin. After 20 minutes, the thing abruptly shut down, just like my GoPro Hero 7. That angers me. <laughs> that is poor engineering. I don't know. I don't know what people are doing with their GoPros, but apparently they're not using the larger capacity micro SD coupled with this camera. And it's on the list of supported at micro SDs you're supposed to buy for this thing. It still overheats. Even with, notice the battery compartment's empty. So I just use external USB-C power. That helps keep it cooler in there because you got this nice gap. Yeah. Yeah. The thing still turns off abruptly, ruining your video, especially if you're doing a time-lapse. Yeah. There's no fix. So that's a tech fail. Let me just go through these quick, but that's one where that irritates me. Spent good money on that thing, waiting for the GoPro Hero 7 to the 8. And um, what do you know? So is that <laughs> a version? Is that a, is that a problem with that particular GoPro version? Is it Was it different before? Is it... It's much worse than the Hero 7. People okay. still complain about here and there on the Hero 8. So I don't know if people are in the Arizona desert and mounting these on the side of something outdoors. If you get airflow, I think you're fine. But if you have still air and you get into the mid seventies, guess what? The thing can abruptly shut down. Mid seventies, like Fahrenheit. Remember, I'm recording or, like or Celsius. Okay, Fahrenheit. Okay. Uh, little, yep. It's not very hot, I Paul. I know. I know. It's the 4K. If you go 1080p, you're golden. Okay. You can okay. leave it running for weeks. Okay. Or, so it. It basically yeah. what I'm saying is it barely handles 4K. Yeah, Try 4K it. 60 yeah. frames a second. I'm crazy enough to do that. Some of my YouTubes have that. Guess what? When you're driving or showing something with movement, it matters. 60 frames a second on YouTube looks pretty good. So I'm, that all takes up a lot of storage, and we'll get into that. So that's one of the tech fails. Windows 10 2004, also kind of a tech fail. It's not really related, but... For me, I made it about four years in my Windows 10 primary workstation, which is actually a VM running under vSphere 7. That's good. I made it four years of upgrades without ruining the machine with some you know, spyware or whatever. But now it's actually certificate manager that did me in. So that's been pretty common for me over 20 years of Windows. You know, you got to rebuild every few years. That was a pretty good run, but this time certificates screwed things up. And it's pretty bad if those are screwed up because now your browsers might be confused and some of your apps might break. Total rebuild time. There's no easy way to handle certificates that are scrogged. 
So I'll just point that out. That's my own doing. I tinkered with it so much over the years, adding local self-signed certs, and then finally I host something. So I'll be using Windows 10 from scratch, which is 2004 is the latest build. I don't know how many listeners have done that yet, but it's kind of a rough start. <laughs> it didn't get widely deployed to everybody on their surfaces or Windows VMs like I'm running under VMware, where it sees it as a VMware branded uh, workstation. Some funkier builds like that, it doesn't like still. You still have, to, even if you're a seeker and you go to Windows Update and ask for it, it doesn't just push it to you. It's been a very slow rollout. Mm-hmm. And that version 2004, that means year 20 and then 04, the fourth month, April. Yeah. It's been out a little while. So I'm just pointing that out. I don't know how other people but are you doing But you can go back and get the ISO oh, yeah. for, ni- for 1903. I did, yeah. okay. I did. Well, I went and got the 2004 ISO and manually upgraded anyway. So you can okay. override. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next, 10G networking, a little bit of a challenge. I won't get into too much detail, but I do have a switch. They're still not cheap. It's been almost two years since I bought my $700 Netgear that has eight 10 gig ports. But um, yeah, you go beyond 10 feet, 20 feet. You're starting to look at your brands. Cat 7 might not be all it's cracked up to be because it's not really a spec yet. Go Cat 6E, but you know it's been a little bit, a little bit dicey to try to have Cat 10 gig throughout the whole home. Partly because well, my servers that are they started like 1,500 bucks END that come with 10 G built right in the motherboard, but cabling that and getting that to go you know 100, 200 feet that's been a little bit more of a challenge. So that's an ongoing project. It's in my kind of tech challenges uh, section here. Is is there a distance spec on that? That is is yeah, and it, it's it's early days. Like if you look at Cat Seven, you're mostly finding when I bought it, it's not even really on a a list. It's really supposed to be using Cat Six Sixty uh, or Sixty, I think at the time. Yeah, but the, now I'd have to research that all over okay. again. But yeah. and there's also flat ribbon cables that can be yeah. easier to handle in an attic. Maybe those are not a good idea. I don't know. So just an ongoing project. Um, SMR disclosures, you mentioned that in a recent podcast. A really good, uh, um, servethehome.com. So Patrick, I've actually met him at a VMworld, really good guy. Um, he went and talked about the SMR sleaze in the industry, and he just called out Western Digital and the rest. He did a fantastic job. Yeah. He just didn't pull any punches. He wasn't nasty about it. He just said, come on, guys, you can't do that to the average guy or gal that's going to yeah. buy this, put it on an as with their cherished family photos. Yeah. and really have a week or two or a month rebuild time when a drive yeah. fails or even lose their data. Just unacceptable. And I love the way he called him out on it in a positive industry constructive way, not being nasty on Twitter. Just hats off to how Serve the Home handled that. Um, so I think point- I think Richard Gunther, too, talked about that on Entertainment 2.0. He had, he had bought a new Synology and had bought those and mm-hmm. wasn't aware and uh, spent oh some time talking about that, too. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Richard Gunther. Great. Uh, it's, it's Patrick Kennedy I was talking about. Yeah. Um, and the I do have a Synology product in my house, actually. So uh, luckily, I did not get saddled with that problem myself. But still, a lot of readers of my stuff on my site are tending to buy those bigger drives. All right. Um, got some other topics here, but some <laughs> they're kind of deep rabbit holes or rat holes, whatever you want to call them. Lawns, you said on your recent podcast, it yeah. separates the men from the boys. Well, I'm a child. I'm a young boy. I I burned out my lawn in July. I did not put in irrigation oh. water system. I just let it be fried through all of July and August, and I don't worry about it. it you got to go back. dormant. That's what we say. Pretty much. You're no- going dormant. You're not burning it out. Fine. You're letting it go dormant. Yeah. But there's no way I have the time to be mowing twice a week or whatever. There's a, and, um, there's a good look at my my green. You can you can kind of see right there the nice green. Oh, very nice. Oyster there. So. No, I picture of mine. <laughs> I've gotten very serious about the lawn. This now that we've talked about it twice, I figure like I can't afford to have somebody say, "Dude, your podcast about it and your lawn looks like crap." So, I've I've spent some serious time on it this year. 
my wife and I have been in our house 25 years. We bought it when it was new, 95. And um, about five, six years ago, I called her from a Sears that looked like maybe it's kind of going out of business. And they had the sit down mower that's zero turn radius. Things worth like four and a half grand on sale for 2,600 bucks. Nice. Unused. I'm like, uh, hun, they can deliver this to our house in two days. You know, what do you think? That was a win. I can finish in 20 minutes rather than an hour and a half pushing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. and you know, I do kind of like the blogging and other stuff. So sitting outside for an hour and a half, put, I, <laughs> it was time. So I'm, I'm pretty blessed with a zero turn, but I'm not really loving a maintenance on a 27 horsepower motor. And I'd like to get rid of that and go electric on that at some point. I'm well aware of your warnings on electric now. They can be anemic, but they're yeah. getting better. They yeah. can be out down to 2,600 bucks, which is not cheap. But a 38-inch, you know, they have $300 sales at Home Depot. They're getting better. I think next spring, there'll be many more brands of electric sit-down mowers. So for those of you following along the show notes, that's included too. It's now three grand. It was 2,700 just uh, two weeks ago. Oh, well. But um, the end of season sales and all that. So for people listening, I don't know. There's all kinds of cool videos of people using them. How will that battery hold up? And how much will that battery cost if it only lasts five or 10 years? Jim, you make a good point. If it ends up costing you a grand only three years from now because you left it out in the winter in your garage, that's a fail, right? So I shop very carefully, <laughs> like you do. <laughs> and you kind of watch and watch other people's mistakes and whatever. Oh, and then I buy it, blog about it, yeah. right? Yeah. All right. Another tech challenge. Dual SIM, we talked about a little, but on some of the bad, my antennas in my neighborhood seem to be bad. So even though I'm blessed with having a, um, my, my day job at Dell, give me a SIM. I didn't want a phone. I'm like, I don't want to carry two phones. So they gave me a SIM. And that was success. So I stuck that in. Um, and you move your regular phone number from Verizon over to the eSIM side of the iPhone 11 Pro. Boom. Now I have a dual SIM phone. One's an eSIM, the other's a physical SIM. And now it'll ring from both incoming calls. So that's a win. But the failure part of it, the challenge part of it is, yeah, dealing with voicemail, moving from Google Voice over to having a unified inbox where work people and personal phone calls are all mushed together in one inbox for messages and voice. That took some getting used to. I haven't seen any really good articles on that. But just stay tuned. I'll probably try to write something up at that at some point. Um, still a whole lot better than having to have two things to charge in your phone and in your car in your pocket. No mm -hmm. way. Do that. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, for sure. Okay. And then finally, vSphere. I've got that on both the tech challenge section and tech success sessions. So vSphere 7, every two years or so, you get a major release from VMware. And I push the boundaries. I do things like pass-through. So people use... Um, maybe KVM on another flavor of Linux, or, or um, there's lots of hypervisors out there. And, and there's probably more consumer-friendly ones than VMware vSphere, which is really an enterprise-focused product. But I do goofy stuff like passing a GP through, GPU through to a VM, or passing a music uh, USB card through these speakers I have here with a subwoofer in my office to a VM. Those are not like normal things that people do in an enterprise running VMs. And that's where you push the boundaries. And when you go to a major new release, you break some stuff. And I broke some stuff. And you guys know that feeling. I think there's some geeks, nerds, whatever you want to call us, back in February, March, uh, let's see, it came out in April. The April code came out April 2nd. It was GA, so no beta for me, just using the GA code. That first three weeks is rough. Like, you don't know if it's going to take you two hours to get it running the way you want or 28 hours. Well, it took me more like 50 hours to work out all the kinks. Evenings, weekends, you just have this anxious feeling like, I don't want to roll back. I don't want to roll back. It's uh -huh. my primary workstation. I got to get it working. Yeah. And then blog my butt off about it when I got it working. But it wasn't until May till you heard me getting it working. <laughs> so that was a little bit of a rougher uh, upgrade for me. doesn't mean anything for the enterprise. By the time their first update one comes out, all that stuff tends to get worked out. It's no problem. Um, so it was also a tech success. Ultimately, I got it working. So for those of you that actually you know, make a living or part of your day job is vSphere 7, yeah, it's been good. Just some of the goofier consumer-focused parts were the rough edges that I revealed. 
Nothing to do with stability for enterprise. No purple screens, none of that stability problems. We're just talking about the vagaries of sound cards and GPUs, which really have no place in the data center anyway. All right. Um, another success was the step two. We talked about the ring lighting. We talked about FLIR thermal camera. Continue to use that. And I'm going to talk about an M.2 drive I just got recently. And uh, claim in handy to be able to aim it at that M.2 device. I wrote the word parallax as a concern there. I do videos where it's in close proximity, like six inches from the M.2 I'm measuring the temperature of. And FLIR thermal cameras, this one's an iOS version from like two years ago, it overlays a real world image with the FLIR thermal camera image. So you can kind of see an outline of the product and like a Samsung 970 logo on the SSD you're looking at. And you can see it heating up, you know, turning red and then white where it starts blue, you know, that kind of stuff. But it's not ideal for close photography. And that's what my articles uh, tend to be. So it's been a win, but I could imagine a better version in the future if for near-term photography, just not designed for that really. Um, Paul, what's the, could, could I use those in defense of like, I've been on a mole hunt, you know, and not, not like the NSA kind of mole, but like the moles. Cause you know, we've been talking about lawns and yeah. this is the time of the year the moles come out. Right. And it, I'm having a little caddyshack moment. Like I've drowned them out. I've put flares in the hole that smoke them out. I have, I've got two, two different kinds of traps going on right now. I'm using sound sensors. I'm thinking about building a Wi-Fi speaker that I put into the ground that just plays ACDC 24-7. You know, we can't hear it, but it's playing in the ground. But I, I was kind of thinking, do you think you could, I could point that and see the mole in the ground? Would it, do you think it'd get through the dirt? Besides PETA cringing listening to you, I will say it, <laughs> this sucker's $383. So can you make a business case to your significant other about that? Oh, I'm not like, saying, I'm not saying. <laughs> that's one like, expensive mole hunt. These moles uh, are, you know how many I've spent in. in okay. You're in, curious. And uh, I, I think, you know, we've been buying the candy for them. I'll, I'll just say it's candy, the candy for them. They treat it like it's candy. I, I don't, it just, it does nothing. You know, that whatever they sell the stuff that, you know get rid of right, well, they have an older one for 200 yeah. to 400 so it looks like the prices are not falling on but do you, okay I'm, I'm let, money aside okay. money aside let's just for a second say i buy the 380 dollars version uh, the the um, the 165 spot do you think i could point that at the ground and spot a heat signature now, now moles can dig down to like i mean they go pretty deep most of the time the surface stuff that you see is there but they've got you know they go they go down pretty deep do you think it'd All get right. through the dirt to see them well, let me um, show my desk for a second then. Okay. We, we tested that before going on the air. Because, I mean, we out. just, it was two weeks from the summer lawn show, and I'm still I'm still thinking about that. I've not tested on a moles, but this is me writing about it way back in February 2016. Oh, my. I've had it four years. Okay. So yeah. the prices have not fallen in four years. But look at this. That's carpet in my basement, and it's picking up the temperature of my foot that's only resting on that spot for all of about a half a second, and it still shows. Now, will it go penetrate five, six, eight? 12 inches below soil, though, for a warm yeah. animal? No yeah. idea. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't I'm going to have to try. I'm, I'm to sure try. you'll be Googling for that tonight, Jim. But, uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to try. I'm buying one tonight. Like, I am obsessed with this, Paul. I cannot, um, I cannot get – it's. I, I want to find these. I So I watch these guys on YouTube. They're, they're beekeepers, you know, and they go in and they, they – when bees, um, you know, get in somebody's house, they go in and pull them out. And they shoot that against drywall. And you, you can see the heat signature of the bees behind the drywall. Now wow. we're talking yeah. half inch, you know, half inch heat rock. It's incredible. That's, that's, that's interesting. Little, but yeah, soil probably is more insulated. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, Zach Valor's in the chat room. Good buddy. Yeah, what's the chat saying about this? 
Zach says, sorry, Jim. That's a no. <laughs> <laughs> Hard no. All right. He's being flawed. Zach, why do you got to break my heart that way? Zach, do you have one of these? Like, Oh, gosh. He's got some direct. You're going to get direct feedback from folks here. who uh, They're not just guessing, right? They've tried stuff. So have well, fun I'm, in the chat. I'm <laughs> assuming. I'm assuming. Uh, jo- Joe says, <clears throat> gasoline. So, oh, no, I'm not going to start the ground on fire. That's I did. I did use a flare, so a 15 minute flare in the ground. Tried to smoke them out. It didn't work. It doesn't work. They don't die. So, yuck. All right. Well, <laughs> let, let's let's go to happier topics. I'm making you uncomfortable, Paul. I can I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> let's go to not electrifying, uh, not zapping things in your home. So, okay. there's okay. tech success. 200 amp service panel in my house. House was bought. It was 100 amp. We went to 200 amp. We got an air conditioner. That's pretty common, right? Not that big a deal. Then the X10 devices at the time for home automation, they were frying left and right in lightning storms. They'd last me a year or two tops. So I finally got a Leviton whole home surge protector, put that thing in in the late 90s, been good to this day. Little green lights glow on it. It's all protecting my house. I haven't had any such mystery failure since. These are devices that are hardwired into your house. There's no surge protection for them and unless it's a whole home thing. One time purchase for you that you put in, because like here in Nebraska, the power yeah. company, you can you can kind of lease the service from them. They keep it upgraded all the time oh, to great. make sure. That's yeah. cool. Super. I think it's $7 a month. I just tacked it onto my <laughs> electrical. If if we did have a surge, it protects up to hundred grand or something crazy like that inside the house of yep. stuff. So you might want to check with your, you don't have to buy it yourself. You might want to check with your power company. They made install it and then it becomes a subscription fee for you at that point. I love hearing that. Did know? Did they also give you a smart meter at that point in the side of your house? No smart meter. It's just a ring okay. that goes around the regular meter. Okay. So they put a ring on it. And the meter sits on top of that. But when I had my amp, I had my electrical service upgraded a couple of years ago too. The contractor worked with uh, OPPD. They do our power here, and they came out and did all their things and reset it. And it was done in a day. It was great. I so you can do that through the okay. power company. And just to bring the themes home here, you guys remember remember us talking about a ream uh, water heater with a thirty and a two hundred forty volt circuit, um, and I'm talking about cars, pretty expensive devices that you don't have a surge suppressor for. So all the more reason to think about at your two hundred amp panel where it comes into your house. Maybe you want to do it over there if people listening haven't even thought about that because you really want all that stuff plugged in during a lightning storm. You can flip some breakers and you know if you had a really bad storm, probably a good idea to disconnect them anyway, but still just, just point that out to listeners. Right. who might not have thought of it. Um, what else? V3 supercharging. Okay. That was interesting. So 150 kilowatt power cabinet. Uh, I got to watch them build the first one in anywhere in North America, east of, I think it was Las Vegas. It was going up right in Connecticut, 18 miles from my house. So for me, it was fun to see them putting the conduit under underground in January and digging for a 250 kilowatt charger, which is a lot of power. So you can actually have a, if you're on a long road trip and your Tesla gets all the way down to five or 10% and it tells you to get off the exit, it's accurate. It calculates the whole trip for you. You get off, you got five or 10%, especially in the summer when your battery's warmer, that sucker can put hundred miles of range in like seven minutes. Those first few minutes go fast and that can get you to the rest of your destination without hanging around very long, enough time to get a donut in the local Dunkin' Donuts on the side of the parking lot. So <laughs> that's been a success, but the first months they had problems and there was some photography that Inside the uh, the cabinets, they were a little sensitive about because you're looking inside some pretty fancy innards of the VC supercharger. But I had a blast talking to the guys doing the construction, seeing the insides. Why? Because I play with data centers in my day job. I've been installing servers and rack mounting. So this to me was like, okay, here's a real world use of forget about trucks toting 
I don't know, ethanol from the Midwest and corn in a big, heavy tank and burning more fuel to move it to you. How about you just use electrons moving through wires that the whole country's wired for already? And it just excites me to see Tesla pushing the envelope there and getting cars turned over a lot faster. Because in California, they're struggling with some lines of the superchargers. I've driven all the way to Richmond, Virginia, all the way to northern Maine, uh, middle of Maine. No problems here in the Northeast at all with lines ever. I, I've done about, I think, 70 supercharge sessions. I have an app called Testify. That was my next test success here. Testify logs all that for me and shows how many amps are going in, efficiency, all that good stuff. So if you're a stats nerd and you're an electric vehicle, you'll probably like, again, forget the Tesla brand for a moment. Imagine you're driving around a Ford or GM if those companies survive and wake up soon, <laughs> right? Or maybe it's some other brand, um, like uh, maybe VW that seems to be more serious about EVs and going faster. But whatever it is you're driving around someday, yeah, you're probably going to like it. <laughs> Not just the acceleration, but the, the fancy tech in the, these cars and software updates that come over the air and all that. And that goes to my next tech success, and that's the OBD Link MX Plus. OBD in a car, Tesla Model 3 was the first car authorized to not have one of those. Well, guess what? You can just buy one. It goes in the center console. You plug it in. It goes in line with a little wiring harness. No solder gun, no clipping of wires, no warranty issue. You're just plugging in and giving your car a Bluetooth dongle so you can use an app and connect to it and see things like your battery temperature and in the winter. And, you know, stats for nerds that you have when you right-click a YouTube video. It's kind of like that for your car. So I've written about that. That was just a fun nerdy thing for me to get a little more insight to what's happening while my car is supercharging and what are those noises I'm hearing with the cooler goes on or whatever you get. Better insight. All right. Um, coming to the finish line here on my list, uh, Apple Magic Keyboard, complete success for my mom. She moved from ThinkPads to iPads a decade ago, but the keyboard was always a vulnerable. There you go. Keyboard was always a weak spot for my mom. You know, she's wondering where the mouse is when she moved away from the ThinkPad. That was tough. She got used to no mouse and touching the screen, but the keyboard, not so fun. When anything with Bluetooth or you had to charge, not so great, right? Because now she's got a problem every month or two having to find the micro USB to charge it. And so Magic Keyboard, complete success. It's not just because it has power dealt with. It passes through power. You, you, you can plug in USB-C to the Magic Keyboard and the smaller or the bigger iPad Pros. You just pop the iPad Pro on there. There's no origami folding to teach your mom or dad. It just pops on and it folds to 90 degrees. Vertical. Why does that matter? Because the camera is now vertical for the Zoom phone calls your parents are now on. Perfect. Total tech success. Thing cost a fortune. The keyboard's $350. It's insane. But she's really happy with it. Um, so I'll just point that out. If you're not aware of the Magic Keyboard, you're probably not seeing it in an Apple store. We just went and risked it and ordered online because I knew about that tilt angle and how easy it was going to be for her to pick it up and fold it without the origami weird stuff she had to do with the past ones. And no more charging the keyboard. So there you go. It's not a fancy product. The trackpad did throw her a little. I asked her a few days after she got the iPad Pro for a mutual birthday gift for the whole family. She's like, yeah, it seems to be good. I love it. But there's a gray dot in the bottom right. Like, oh, that's just the cursor, mom. Remember I told you about the trackpad? You left the cursor over your screen. She touches the trackpad and realizes, oh, you're right. She thought maybe her screen was busted. So it is weird seeing a cursor on an iOS device, right? But hey, welcome to the future where that's just running on ARM. So lots of announcements from Apple lately, right? Yeah, Running on yeah. ARM in the future, yeah. And a little more openness. Well, their own version, their own version of ARM, right? Yep. And there's a tra there's an IBM ThinkPad keyboard that came out. Got one of those. Haven't blogged about it. Forgot to add that to my list. But people immediately asked me when I did the Apple Magic Keyboard unboxing, "Hey, why didn't you hook up the ThinkPad keyboard to that? Because it's um, there's a different noise. Each one has their own you know noise level when you're on a phone call or whatever. So people can do that too. So Apple's opening up a little bit for pointing devices and keyboards and, but still an Apple branded keyboards can have a, you know, easier experience than any third party. All right. 
I saved a couple of bigger ones for the end, Jim. But do you have any questions or people in the chat? I'm going to take a quick peek at the chat. Chat's been awesome. Yeah, they've um, been good tonight. I will yep. say for folks listening, uh, Paul, in, in the show notes for this show, so uh, theaverageguy.tv slash HGG451, uh, I'll have Paul include all the links to his articles on these topics. So if you want one place to go to get back to Paul's stuff, we'll make sure that we include those in the show notes going forward. Okay. So when you get a few minutes, when you get a few minutes, Paul, drop me some, because you know where those are pretty fast. Just drop those links in my show notes so I can get to those. Okay. Now it's in markdown language. So it'll look like heck if I put it in there. So I'll think I'll work on that. Yeah. I'm sure you'll figure it I'm out. I'm sure you'll figure it out. And actually moved to Visual Studio for those of people that might do markdown language. That was a recent move for me from uh, Sublime. There you go. Kind of a nerd little sidebar topic, but that's a, a blogger inside baseball kind of thing. Uh, that's been an interesting move. All right. So the big ones, Jim, the hardware ones, because I'm, I like software and I like computers and I like tech outside the home and energy efficiency. We've had those themes, but these last two, um, a little different. So my day job, I hinted AMD Epic. We've all been reading about AMD and kicking butt compared to Intel for quite a while. And for me in the home lab stuff, I blog about kind of my bread and butter on my site, which got me some popularity after four years of kind of failure with any kind of viewership numbers. It finally got better in 2015, 16, when the ZND arrived and 14 nanometer, but here we are five years later, they're still stuck at 14 nanometer. Competitions moved to 10, seven, and even five. What is going on? <laughs> it's been a little weird, but now it's starting to show up in my day job too. So VxRail is the epitome of an appliance. So VxRail is vSAN in a box. So VxRail is a machine that's branded by Dell EMC. And if it has vSAN running on it from VMware, like preloaded, that's VxRail. All the drives are seen and drive into one big pool of storage. So let's say you buy four pizza boxes, you stack them together, you get one pool of storage. Sound a lot like dry pooling and home, ser home server, Jim, from 10 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So think of it as the enterprise version of that, but a whole lot more robust. Well, if AMD can beat folks in the home, you know, gaming market and have much higher core counts on single processors, what do you know? They're starting to show up in my day job when I cite solutions for enterprise customers. Um, getting to learn more about AMD because I need to, and my customers are getting to hear, you know, see it more often because the price, it's now there and undercutting Intel. So for me, that's that's good for the industry. It's waking up Intel. Hopefully, in three, four, five years, we're all better off and they're more neck and neck. But it's been a weird year, and we're in limbo right now. Um, what's going to replace the AMD, for instance? And again, that thing I blog about an awful lot because they're still at fourteen nanometer. So stay tuned. Twenty twenty one should be exciting. I don't think COVID helped this year any with moving things forward. Um, supply chain issues, all kinds of things. I don't know. This is going to be a weird year, but I think 2021 will be the year where I'll have a lot more to write about, frankly, on that spot and have more gear to get my hands on. Meanwhile, I keep looking at some fanless tech. I like quiet stuff. I already mentioned my office, so that's been um, exciting. So, okay. So stay tuned for AMD Epic. You guys might be thinking about that more um, or the gaming version, right? AMD Epic would be more um, servers and, and data centers as well. Um, there's also ruggedized ones as well. So more, more and more coming out there. Okay. Here's the last, the biggest one for last. Okay, four terabyte SSD. That might not blow your doors off when I say that because you're thinking, oh, okay, Samsung's had those in 2.5 inch SATA form. But do you really want to put a lot of money into the SATA slow bottleneck? Would you really want to put VMs on there or or games, whatever? SATA really is slow. Um, it's a terrible bottleneck, especially when you're talking about four terabytes of data. So to my uh, joy, after two years of saving my pennies, finally jumped into the four terabyte world in the M.2 gumstick form factor. Why is that a big deal? Well, I got a prop, visual prop for you here. 
This is not easy to do because of heat. So let's start with showing you the beloved Samsung 960, right? I'm going to hold on. I'm going to make you full screen. There we go. Okay. And on the Amazon 960 Pro, 970 Pro, 970 Evo, they're beloved on Amazon. The ratings are tremendous. Really high star reviews, right? Common drive people buying these. They're consumer drives. They're really not for, meant for VMware ESXi server, but people just use them anyway, and they seem to be fine and hold up with even with right intensive workloads. But when you move to four terabytes, you're looking at heat sinks. Now, at first, I tried it without a heat sink, and we're like, I really don't want to fry a 800-ish dollar investment. So I'm not pulling any punches. This sucker is expensive. It's twice as expensive as a two terabyte, but nobody, including Samsung's making a four terabyte. It's just this company called Sabrent. So hats off to them for being first. Hopefully I don't regret this purchase, but so far so good. I put this heat sink, which is the sandwich. You can see the copper pipes. And what you're looking at is the teeth, the M.2 PCIe 3.0 by four lanes, the, the, the interface here coming out of the M.2 gum stick. That's still showing but this heat sink envelops the entire drive because both sides have NAND memory on there. So that's why this thing is a bit of an engineering feat. I went and bought the design for PCIe 4.0 devices, which are run even hotter. I went and bought it for the Sabre and thinking, you know what, if it runs faster and cooler, how about I put this heat sink on there for 20, 25 bucks with the screws in the side that really puts some clamping force. So the, the foam heat thermal transfer com compound there is pushing hard on both sides. And what do you know? I got like 30% better benchmarks, not a subtle difference. And I record on video a couple of nights. So I can't wait to edit that video and put it out there. So that's the kind of stuff I absolutely love doing on my blog is getting something, my hands on something kind of early. And hopefully the, the unboxing experience went so well, I just shoved it in and VMware saw it right away. There was some chance I was going to have to change the sector size, update the firmware, fiddle around with weird command line stuff to change the, sec the, um, the drive layout. Nope, it just worked. VMware formatted VMFS file system off to the races, good to go. The performance trounced the Samsung 960 Pro right next to it. That's a delightful thing. So yes, it, you pay for the gigabytes, but that's where all my VMs run and my daily driver and two terabytes was starting to feel tight because I do a lot of 4K video these days. <laughs> two I know terabytes. that sounds nuts, two terabytes. <laughs> but Jim, once you're spoiled by NVMe for daily oh, no. driver, I never want to go back to SATA. I, I don't yeah. want to watch Windows boot for 30, 40 seconds when you can right. do it in seven. Right. So that's me. And, it, and I want to be productive every time I sit down to blog. I'm cranking out content. I have a thousand articles over nine year span. I want those articles to take me as little time as possible with the process. And most of the time spent thinking about getting what's in my head out into words, right? Not waiting around for a render job or whatever else. So yeah, that's a tool for me. I, I leverage the heck out of my daily driver. I've abused the snot out of my Samsung 970, my daily driver. So it had a good run for three years, me beating way at it every day. And now I've got a four terabyte drive. So there you go. Not well, a lot of people talking about this thing yet. At that, at that price point, why wouldn't you just go 1500 and get an eight terabyte? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yep. Don't, it's do not have same cost per terabyte, right? Yeah, it's I mean, as much as the server it's in, Jim. It's a little <laughs> bit, uh, a little bit skewed there. Yep. So my the, the stuff I blog about these are for, reasonably affordable, fifteen hundred to twenty five dollars solutions. Yeah. So you start getting into a price like that for your storage, it that's fifteen hundred. It's twice the price. It's twice yeah. the price. Yeah. So you know, looking into that, but. Um, yeah, it'd be uh, interesting to see heat on that one too, right? You probably should buy a heat sink is my point. If you could buy these bigger yeah. devices that are two-sided, the underside of your gum sticks now getting toasty. That was never true of all the two terabyte drives. So just yeah. be aware of that for people shopping. I was going to see, that was at Newegg that I was showing that. And okay. I was going to see if they also 
had a, if they sold the uh, heat sink along with it, doesn't look like I see it here on the page, but Paul, you always deliver. Thanks for, thanks for coming on and working us through um, the, the, the topics of the day. I promised I would, at the end of the show, talk about how does one burn through six terabytes? By the way, I burned through it in 10 days, six terabytes in 10 days. Let me do this really quick. So, so uh, two weeks ago, I decided mm, I'm going to move some of my mining rigs around a little bit. I'm you know, doing some burst coin mining with Ken and we're having fun with it. So I swapped some drives around. And when I take one of the drives out and put it in the other drive, the machine that I put it in recognizes it as the old uh, drive. It puts it in an old drive letter and boots what I had been backing up my Moro data box. So Moro data box is the primary box, two terabytes on it. It's cached, which means I have one terabyte of space and it caches the rest up to Backblaze. And if I ever need anything, it just goes to Backblaze, grabs it, brings it down, loads it up, puts it up, leaves it there until it boots something else out, right? To get it done. So if I were ever to do a complete restore, I would have to bring down, you know, probably 1.2 terabytes to do the restore. So which is okay, because I don't plan to do restores unless it's a crisis and I can bring it down during those times, bring it down. So, so on the on the primary box, it's doing the backup from the, um, that has the, uh, well, okay. So the box that's doing the Bitcoin mining also has always sync on it. That is syncing between the Moro data box, which is again, my primary data store to the Drobo. Uh -huh. Well, when it changed the drive, it always sync, looked at the, what had been the Drobo drive that I had, that I had written in, you know, I had done a, um, a manual um, mapping, network mapping. When that drive came back that had been in there before, it, overwrite, it overwrote the manual drive mapping and then consumed it. And so Always Sync was like, oh, fine, I'll just put it there. So it's like, oh, you don't have anything there. Like that looks like what I'm looking for. So I'm going to pull it all down. Now, there was no space on that drive to write anything. It had a bunch of burst files on it, but it kept trying. So oh it was rolling through each one failing, but that Day would send us over and over. Yeah. It send the single to the more data box. More data would go, I don't have that data. Send it up to Backblaze. Backblaze would bring it down. By the time it brought it down, it was already doing another, it was already doing another um, you know, another file. And it, oh, okay, let me go get that one. So literally for so it tried it one day, did all two terabytes, and then failed. Then a couple days later, I moved some files over because I did a podcast. That's what triggered the event. And all of a sudden, starts doing it again. <laughs> then I moved some files around on Sunday, and it starts doing it again. Well, that's two terabytes each time. Two times three is six. That's how you get six terabytes. So you're like, oh. so Cox, I called Cox. I'm like, help me. Like, I'm going to, you're not, you know, it's $10 for 50 gig after this. And she says, well we cap it at a hundred dollars. Like you're never going to pay oh. more than a hundred extra dollars. So that's like a nice little, like, just know if you have Cox. It must be quite over. a relief. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just, I mean, still a hundred bucks, but it's like I, PTSD of cell phone days, right? When you get those overdoses, yeah. it's awful. Yeah. No, I mean, right on. You're like, I'm I thinking I was going to have a $1,500, you know, bill. It was my fault. Um, So she's like, no, no. She, the, so she goes, tell you what, we'll just put you on the unlimited plan. It's 50 bucks. And then hmm. you get this straightened out. You can call us at the beginning of the month and cancel it. That was okay. Thanks, Cox. That was super nice. So that cost me 50 bucks. Then I, the other, so as I was thinking about this, I'm like, you know, I had to check Backblaze. <laughs> like, 
I -hmm. just pulled down six terabytes from Backblaze. And I was thinking, Paul, I was really kind of scared. Good thing Backblaze is cheap because I was thinking $700. 600 terabytes. That's just what went through my mind. I'm thinking, oh, because they don't pay. It's not expensive to go up and it's not expensive to store. It's more expensive when you pull it back. That's the that's the price model of a B2 bucket on um, on Backblaze. And I still love Backblaze because the bill was 70 bucks. So it's kind of like, okay, that's not now again for six terabytes. That's not too bad. It's do I want to pay $70 extra for all that data? No. But at least it wasn't seven hundred dollars. Now, now that and so you know, now that I'm thinking about this, I better check that bill, like, and hoping it didn't split in the middle of that thing somewhere, and I'm still gonna have a bill on it. I'll have to, I'll have to go check that out. But yeah. that being that being said, that's how you. Um, so I immediately removed. I'm like, okay, always sync. You're out. At least on this PC, I'm gonna put it someplace where I can see it. I can see it working. If it's going to get, if something, this is, I put it on my main box that way, nothing, you know, I don't know. I was hoping. So, well, <sighs> yeah, I will say, um, uh, it's a tough story. I actually had this multi-year dream of like sinking to my parents' house uh, a few miles away, yeah, right? Just right. kind of have data off site. But those dreams went away when they started with the caps. Yeah. Um, yeah. It felt like Australia where they've had caps for years. Right. It's just so unfortunate. And it scares me more when we move to, you know, 4K Netflix and stuff, right. the competition when Net- NBC buying Comcast. That's just, it's not well, good. And it's, I, I, we it's get Cox good. ads all the time that say, um, you know, hey, um, go to, did you want to show your screen? Yeah, I was just showing the uh, network router. So any machine I have in the house, I install this little utility called Networks. It points to um, my uh, Ubiquiti router. And it shows the bandwidth, upload and download. So I don't have surprises. So if something was going on in some machine, I would see it in the corner of my eye and it's docked in my system tray. So um, I'm not showing that screen, but yeah, it's next to my clock on my Windows machines, my primary machines, my work machine, my own machine. They have the little ticker showing how much bandwidth I have docked at the bottom of my screen. Yeah, Just a lovely little solution for people that happen to have ubiquity. You just point this network's utility to it. A little bit well, of software there. And, I, and I have alerting on at Cox. I don't know why it didn't alert me that because I, I have I turned it on to say, hey, the bottom is the data usage over time. And you can see on my graph here, you can see the spikes hitting on the 21st and the 22nd, which is okay. the first time it tried. And then 26, 27, the 28 was the next time it tried. And then the 30th, the first and second, which which I think, see, my now I'm kind of worried my B2 bucket ends on the 30th and I'm thinking, Oh, I'm still going to have money. <laughs> I'm still going to mm-hmm. owe something. Now it's not, it's not that bad, but um, so I had some alerting turned on. I thought with Cox that said, Hey, send me a text when we're getting close. Like I want to know when I'm getting close to that one terabyte limit. So I, I need to dig in a little bit, Paul and say, where'd that text go? Or why didn't I get notified? I was getting close and um yeah, I run away, always sync uh, because I like to sync. You know, the, the idea is here's the idea uh, on the Moro data box. If that thing ever goes down, I want to have a second copy of it local. So I don't have to necessarily go to the B2 to get what I need because that's expensive. I would rather have it local. The, now, if the house burns down and it takes both of them out, then I've got one in the cloud. So I can, you know, go to the hotel room 
or when I build a new house or whatever, I can, you know, I can go get my backups that way. So that's kind of the thinking, but, but man, um, typically, and, and it's that Moro data box is a cache server box, right? It only keeps terabyte local. Okay. Everything else gets cached to B2. Pulls it when it needs it. Great idea until something runs away. And I probably, I'm sure there's some alerts that I can set up there that say, hey, if you get so many transfers within a certain period of time, alert me. So I need to dig in probably a little bit on that one as well, just to kind of make sure. So, but I had thought somebody had hacked the network. And so I was pretty relieved, you know, I was pretty relieved, like, okay, it doesn't look like somebody got in. Because what I thought, somebody got in and then downloaded everything, right? To just like, hey, copy and paste, bring it down. That's what I thought had happened. When I went back into the always sync records, it was like, yeah, it had been trying to sync. And like a, uh, a cloud storm, whatever you want to call it, a cloud yeah, fallout. Yeah, um, yeah, no, no, a good story. Um, a good warning for people. It's pretty easy to make a mistake on stuff like that. Kind of made me wonder if I want to keep doing the, the Moro data concept. Um, mm -hmm. I almost disconnected that thing and took it out. And I've been running it for a couple of years. They were kind enough to provide that to me as a SMB box to try out. And they just said, keep it. Hmm. Um, it's got some amazing, it's very, very powerful, way more powerful than I need it to be. But, um, and it's not the fault of them. It's totally on me. I changed that, didn't validate, didn't have a way to check it, failed on some, failed on some notifications. It could have been worse. And yeah. uh, it was a little sad, less beer money, but you know, there we go. So well, it's, it's Paul, good cocktail mercy on you. If you yeah, just show yeah. my desk for one more second as yeah, we wrap yeah, up. Yeah, 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 you bet. Here, I'll bring it up. So there's one more thing right here. My finger's pointing to an Edge Router 4. So that's been a success. I seamlessly moved from an Edge Router Lite to an Edge Router 4. It's not showing my public IP. So I'm not showing anything private here. And I noticed the CPU is very low, even when I'm doing DHCP reservations or port forwarding or whatever. So it used to be, it used to be, Easily handling my one gigabit connection, no problem there. But the CPU would get a little busy when I was making changes to the config. So uh, one of my two Edge Router lights died. The one I took on the road and brought to VMworld and all over user groups, you know, croaked. So now I have another one Edge Router for. So that was another tech success, I suppose, for people that are into Ubiquity products. And what I'm showing here on the right is networks where you say, hey, piece of software, I don't want to see the network stack in this local VM. I want to point to my router and show all traffic that's flowing from that router out the WAN interface. And that's exactly what I wanted for years. So the ability to see how busy my internet is from any machine in my house has been a delightful side effect of going to Ubiquity router about three years ago. So there you go, Jim. Got my little uh, Ubiquity pitch out there. But yeah, it's been a tech success. Super. Thanks. Super. Well, I appreciate you coming on. A couple of reminders, folks going out. And don't forget, the all this is powered. The Average Guy TV, uh, both the the storage for everything that we do here. Although I kind of wish I had all my stuff over uh, at Maple Grove Partners. The site host uh, by Maple Grove Partners gets secure, reliable, high-speed hosting from people that you know and you trust. And of course, that's Christian. Plan start. Hosting plan start as little as $10 a month. MapleGrovePartners.com. Appreciate Christian's sponsorship of Home Gadget Geeks over the years. And uh, this December, we're coming up on 10. It's pretty crazy to think that we've been doing this for 10 years, but appreciate Christian and his partnership uh, with that. If you have any questions, you can email me, jim at theaverageguy.tv. You can join our Discord group uh, or Facebook group. The links to that are out on the site if you want to get that done. And we want to say thanks for listening tonight. We are live every Thursday, just about every Thursday. Tony reminded me my mom's birthday is coming up in August. We'll be off that first Thursday of August, but most Thursdays, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern, 
uh, out at theaverageguy.tv uh, slash live if you want to join us there. Um, next week uh, we have Jay Madison coming back and we're going to talk some, he's, uh, he's, our, he's kind of our micro PC guy and uh, he's been doing some cool builds. And so we're going to have him uh, on as well. And then we're going to talk about lighting. Daniel J. Lewis is coming on here in a couple of weeks to talk about uh, RGB lighting for the home, which would be pretty interesting. He just bought a kit to do that. And so we're excited to have him on. Then my daughter, the week before my mom's birthday, Sammy is coming on and talk a little bit about her college experience with COVID and coming home oh, and all those things she's done, all the tech uh, she's deployed and some of those things she's done to keep herself sane during this time. So that's uh, July 30th, Sammy will be on. So we look forward to having her on. We'll see you guys next Thursday, 8 p.m. Central. Join us live. Best way to watch the podcast is to watch it live. We'll do a smidgen of a post show. It's getting late where Paul is at. But with that, we'll say goodbye, everybody.